hunt a lot in November, man, that's a good time to kill big mule deer. That is when they are out of the weeds and, and you just got a chance to get in the drop on them. By believing and knowing they are not just randomly roaming the countryside, I'm able to focus my limited amount of time off work, mental energy. I'm only good for so many days. I'm not Superman. That I spend my time where those bucks live. And, and by and large, that's how I've killed the biggest percentage of them, John. You can be the best hunter. You can have the best weapon systems. You can have the best tag. If you can't pass up the nice bucks, you ain't gonna get a big one. That's the risk you run. But I find if you're not willing to take that risk, you'll almost never get a big one maybe in your lifetime. Hey guys, welcome to Throwback Thursdays. I've gone through my library and started picking out some of the most popular podcasts over the last 12, 14 years or whatever how long it's been, I've forgotten now, uh, that I've been doing this. And um, we've re-edited them and put them out there for you guys to, uh, to check out. A lot of good information there. So forgive me, some of them might be a little bit poor quality, you know, depending on when it was recorded. But uh, Throwback Thursday is brought to you by HowlForWildlife.org. Howl for Wildlife was designed to give the hunter and angler a fast-acting tool to combat anti-hunting and fishing bills and initiatives. Howl has given us sportsmen and women not only the ability to act fast, but to amplify our voices and to be heard on issues concerning wildlife management. HAL supports science-based wildlife management and will continue to fight any initiative that goes against sound management. So become a member at HALFORWILDLIFE.ORG. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. Today we're going to talk mule deer with uh, Mr. Robbie Dang. And uh, Robbie is... Uh, from Rock Slide, you probably know him from Rock Slide. If you haven't uh, checked out his book yet, he's actually got a book about killing mule deer, big giant bucks like he always does, like that one that's in his background over there. <laughs> hey, that that wasn't intentional. It's just where I set the phone up. <laughs> no worries. Well, uh, before we jump into, why don't you give us a little uh, rundown about yourself? Yeah, sounds good, John. Uh, thank you for having me on. I, I'm uh, born and raised right here in southeast Idaho, grew up in some pretty good deer country, came from a deer hunting family, especially my father. And, you know, like all good fathers do, he, he just got me out there. You know, now that I'm 48 years old, you know, I have an 11 year old son and uh, two great little daughters. I'm figuring out just how much he gave up to get me out into the field. And but, uh, you know, it, 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 it lit a fire that still burns today. And once I got into my 20s, that was when mule deer crazy really kind of took off anyways, you know, in the West and uh, just really got into it. And really, I mean, I wrote a book about big mule deer. I mean, that's what my articles are about on Rockslide, all that stuff. But and sometimes I think when people talk to me, they think it's just about the antlers. Well, the antlers are the end result of the entire process. But I truly do enjoy hunting mule deer. I, you know. As an adult, I always have, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's the best kind of hunting mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, that, that's really my love for it. I think the whole big antlers thing just allows me to hunt longer and hunt more. And, you know, so I don't apologize for it at all, but I want to make sure people know that's not, you know, all I'm about. I, I killed two good bucks this year. They're both in the freezer. I got friends coming over getting venison. You know, we, 
all that we shoot. Right. And, you know, that, that, that's a big part of it to us too. You know, it's awesome to hear you say that actually, because I'm actually not an, I'm not an inches guy at all myself. I've really, really tried to portray my, my beliefs on my, my, the, the, you know, the way I am. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like shooting big shit just like the next guy. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you, but I tell people that I'm an experience hunter. I'm out there for the whole experience and I'm just going to, whatever's going to make me happy. If it's a 150 buck that day, it's a 150 buck that day. If it's a, you know, I would have 300 inch mule deer, or excuse me, uh, elk or whatever. That's just, you know, whatever's going to put a smile on my face basically. So on, and any given Sunday, it could be a different thing. So, yeah, and I, you know, like I said, I'm. I think I've been kind of guilty of it over the years of not pointing that part of it out. And uh, I went to a, a mule deer seminar uh, quite a few years back, and there was a, a lady there listening to some speakers that were that were talking on the topic. And and one of the one of the speakers was just a really well known big buck hunter. And you know, he was talking about his stories, and mm-hmm. you know, it was a really neat presentation. And come to find out, this lady was a non-hunter. She was there with, I can't remember, the press or something. And she kind of sheepishly raises her hand at the end of the, the guy's presentation. And she's like, so do you just throw the meat away? And he was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, man. I'm, I'm not sending the right message at all here. He's, and, right. and, and, you know, kind of went into the whole thing. And I remember him saying, you know, venison's like chocolate candy to me. And, you know, and you could just see the relief on the lady's face. And, and and so it kind of taught me that man. Sometimes we're talking about big bucks, you know. Sometimes people are, are not getting the right message, and so oh, you know, it's all about the entire experience for me. The antlers are the end result. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, cool. So I guess we didn't really get into a rundown about you. Give me a, give me a short bio on on Robbie Dillon. Okay. Well, besides what I just told you, um, I'm I'm the co-owner of Rockslide. Uh, that's an online forum, magazine, and blog. Uh, my, my my co my co-owner partner is Ryan Avery. We started this back in 2012 along with a couple other outdoor writers. Um, Aaron Snyder, he's still out there doing a lot of content. Uh, David Long, uh, mm-hmm. another mule deer hunter, and a few other important people, and just. After we got it launched, it ended up down to just Ryan and I. Everybody else was on to other things, and, you know, we bought them out, and we've, we've continued that mission to, you know, bring a good, hardcore, Western-style uh, hunting forum, you know, online magazine to anybody that wants to be part of it. It's free to join, and uh, we're real careful who we let on there. You know, there, some mm-hmm. forums get a real bad name. I've talked about this on other podcasts that ends up with just kind of a bully pulpit for a couple of loud mouths. And we really tried to go a different direction with that. And That's I would cool. challenge anybody to get on there and, and see how we're doing. I think for the most part, you'll find there's a lot of good people on there sharing good information. You know, we don't, we don't let it get out of hand on there. And consequently it, it you know, for a long time, you know, the, the guys that were in the know that maybe were a little bit older guys had a lot more experience. They wouldn't have anything to do with the forum. They didn't want to get into all that banter right. back and forth. And so by us controlling that environment, we've ended up with some really good quality members on there. I mean, there's members on there that they're, they're, they're just, you know, they've been hunting 40 years. I mean, and, and they're sharing their experiences. So that's, awesome. that's what, that's what I do there. My, my, my regular job, I'm a director of a large personal training and Pilates program here in Idaho Falls. I've been at that job for about 25 years. And I'm also an, uh, just a part-time outfitter. We run a real small private land outfitting business in the fall. You know, it's just you know, two, three weeks of fall somewhere in there. And, cool. uh, and then, you know, as you mentioned, I'm also an author. Sweet. 
Well, I'm just going to jump in some questions I got for you. Uh, as you can see, I'm still in my in my camouflage. I just came <laughs> I just came from the field. I got home about 45 minutes to an hour ago. And, and, then, dude, and I'm looking at looking at the video here, and I'm looking in that behind you, and man, I see partially mounted animals. I see a pile of gear. I mean, this is about <laughs> as real of a podcast I think as I've ever been on. Man. So, <laughs> this is legit. Yeah, this is my uh, office that is uh, turned upside down right now. We yeah, uh, we were painting. Season, right? Well, hunting season that we were painting. So I I. I Usually, so I had a, I have a bunch of mounts that I had up in here, and I took everything down. And right after we got done painting, we said, "You know what? Let's think about selling the house." I'm like, "All right." So I didn't put anything. I haven't put anything back All up. Right. That that one mount you see in the back is is the only mount that's I that I have that's not a wall mount. It's a pedestal mount that's on a. That's why it's uh, it's still there. But that's my ibex from 2015. All right. All yeah. right. Well, like I said, it adds to the flavor of the podcast. Yeah, but the rest is all my messiness. That's all my my gear strewn about. <laughs> I think every serious hunter has a room just like that. Oh man, I call it the dump room. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I just come home and I dump all my stuff in there and grab new stuff and go out again. <laughs> so, well, cool. I wanted to ask you to kind of paint a picture of how you run your season, like. You know, how does Robbie approach mule deer hunting from start to finish? I mean, obviously, we don't probably don't have a whole enough time to get the, the the full detail, but give me a a broad, you know. Yeah, you betcha, you betcha. The ideal mule mule deer season to me, and I've been kind of refining on this for over thirty years. It's got to start with scouting. I've just found you're just much more efficient if you're hunting an individual buck or at least country where you've killed bucks in in the past. So I'm always, I always put a, a great amount of effort in, into that every summer. And I don't know, 10 to 30 days just kind of depends on the summer. I live in a, you know, a mountainous portion of the West. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that logistically, that can be a little hard to do, you know, just cause you know, our mule deer country, some of it's, you know, way back in. So I'm a horseman. I've always used horses a lot. I use them a lot in my scouting you know, kind of added trail cameras to that over the last 10 years. But, you know, in a lot of areas where there's a lot of water, trail cameras really aren't very effective beyond just the use of, you know, their actual name, putting on, you know, on a trail. And I've had some luck with that. Mm -hmm. you know, I've used them in, in drier areas and, and had better luck with them. Yeah, some of this country is the only, really only efficient way to look at it. And, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a pilot too, is, you know, I oh, wow. fly a lot, but, you know, I might get four to six hours a year of, of aerial scouting. Sometimes it's just a matter of just getting a, getting a good look at the mountain range and, um, you know, kind of figuring out where the deer country is. I don't do it as much as I used to because Google Earth has replaced a lot of that. Yeah. Um, you know, once the hunt gets here, if things have worked out well with scouting, and for the most part it has, I'm usually hunting, you know, a couple of bucks I found. You know, I, I learned a long time ago, I don't go anywhere blind. Um, mm -hmm. just, it's just not an efficient way to hunt for big deer. So, you know, my worst hunt is showing up for a hunt in an area I've never been in before. I, th th those are, I just try not to do that. Um, and then ideally, you know, I, I wouldn't call myself like just this hardcore, nothing stops me, never quit kind of guy. And I know those kind of guys are out there, but I've kind of learned over the years, you know, I, I have a limit on how much 
not physical, but more mental energy I can put towards hunting big mule deer. And, Mm -hmm. you know, big mule deer hunting can be, it can be the most exciting thing in the world, but it's, it's 95% boring. It really is. You know, when you're hunting particular bucks or big bucks, you just don't see them a lot. I'm I'm not a wealthy person. So, you know, I've never bought any really good hunts. Um, I've drawn a couple of few pretty good hunts, but you know, for the most part, I'm out where most people can hunt. And so, so I, I've learned that I, if I can spread myself out over you know, three months of hunting and take breaks in between my hunts, I just do better. I do better on the hill. And then obviously it keeps your life functioning at home. You know, I'm a pretty busy person, got a great wife staying home with the kids. So, you know, there's lots going on here. And, right. And I'm still kind of learning that. But, you know, back in the old days, I I didn't pay much attention to that. And and I would overdo it. I would end up out in the woods just too much without good breaks in between. And then I wouldn't hunt effectively. Mm -hmm. And it it was even making me a little bitter towards hunting. So just as I've gotten older, I've just kind of learned to just pace myself a little bit better. It's it's probably the main reason that I only hunt mule deer. I don't hunt elk. I don't hunt antelope. I don't hunt anything else. And that's not just a, a, you know, a a purist kind of attitude, like mule deer are only the best. No, no, I love, back when we hunted elk, man, elk are awesome. I'm an outfitter. So, you know, I I, I do some semi-guided hunts for guys that are elk. And and while I'm not really, you know, on the trigger or anything, I get to feel all that excitement of using bulls and and, but it really is why I've, I've narrowed mule deer, narrowed myself down to just mule deer hunting so that I got plenty of time to scout, focus on just individual bucks and then, you know, actually have some legitimate breaks in my season so I can mentally recharge. No, oh, that's, that's a smart approach. I, I, I like you, I think I thank God I have an amazing wife at home that takes care of things when I'm away and she puts up with all the, all the days that I'm gone. I've dialed it back definitely. When, and I've, I've made a lot of um, adjustments. Like I don't go on as long a trips anymore. Mine are usually like five, six days max, you know, no more 10 day or, you know, definitely not going backpacking for 14 days. You know, I'm not doing any of those crazy long trips. And although I do hunt a lot and I hunt just about everything, I basically try to keep it, except for maybe the month of September, I'm pretty much going once a month. I go, I start in July and end in February, but I, I typically go on like one trip a month. So, you know, July, August, September, October, November, yeah, all the way through to February. And that, you know, affords me enough time to do what I do and still can run my business, mostly keep my wife happy. <laughs> so, mostly the key word there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, kind of the same approach for me. You know, I just, just uh, instead of trying to do it all and I'll go on a 10-day hunt if I have to. You know, sometimes if you're just focusing on big mule deer, you got to spend those days out there. But yeah, I'd, I'd rather have two five-day hunts with a break in between than one 10-day hunt. I come home fried and tired from hunts like that. I really do. Well, in the past, I just not being real careful about what I was applying for or buying tag and everything. I had a, um, a couple of hunts that ended up just back-to-back to each other that end up going long. And, and you know, I'm not complaining. That's sometimes no. that's what you got to do to hunt big mule deer. But man, sure. it, it takes me literally a couple of weeks to just you know mentally get get recovered and 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 you'll hear me talk about mental a lot more than physical big mule deer hunting is definitely physical maybe a little less so for me because you know i rely on horses heavily but you know i'm I'm not some slob i put in plenty of miles a year but 
with mentally. It's a mental grind. And, and I don't know any better way to explain it to guys. Oh, no, for sure. When I was a younger hunter, I that stuff kind of caught me off guard. Like, you know, why am I so tired? Why is, you know, why am I, um, you know, grouchy about hunting? And, oh, I don't even want to go tomorrow. You know, that stuff kind of surprised me. And, you know, I had a good old man that kind of, kind of mentored me through all this. And he just always said, you're tired. Take a rest. And, you know, of course, trying to be a he-man hunter. Oh, no, you can't rest, man. You got to be out there, you know, hunting daylight till dark every single day. And so anyways, I'd go on and on, but that, that's kind of some of the adjustments yep. I've made over the years. Cool. So what's your favorite time of year to, uh, to hunt muleys? You know, I saw that question when you sent it to me and I'm going to waffle on that answer unless you just pin me down on it early and late. Um, probably the best way to answer is to tell you the times I don't like to hunt it. And that's in October. Okay. Now you end up hunting a lot in October because that's when the bulk of the seasons are scheduled that you can get a tag. And I've killed some big bucks in October. It's usually timed with, you know, good storms and, you know, maybe a little bit of the rut kicking in at the end of October. But for the most part, I'm focusing on big mule deer. I want to hunt before October 5th to the 10th and after November 1st. That's, okay. that's, that's when I've done the best. As far as just the pure comfort of hunting and, you know, not having to deal with quite so many elements september is pretty dang nice and yeah my country up here and, and you know so i guess if you had to nail me down i obviously i'd say september because the weather's you know it could be nasty you got to be prepared for it but for the most part you know you're not you're not just freezing your thumbs and fingers off every time you you know get out of the tent you know you're yeah. in some better conditions but i've hunted a lot in november that's a man. That's a good time to kill big mule deer. That is when they are out of the weeds, and and you just got a chance to get in the drop on them. Yeah, the rut starts kicking in. When when does a rut by you typically start? You know, um, I've hunted down to almost the southern border of Colorado, and you know, kind of draws you know a, a line east and west from there, and then I've hunted up to the Canadian border, and it's typically right around that last few days of October is when I see the, the, the behavior of the bucks start shifting towards the does. And I've argued with a lot of guys about that that are just like, no, man, I saw a two-point sniffing the doe October 10th, and I've had other guys say, no, it's not till the 15th. And I'll just say that I've looked at mule deer for thousands and thousands and thousands of days of my life. And, well, that might be an exaggeration. A lot of days. And, yes. um I do start to see the bucks around the does late October typically can be hard to detect. They're not around them a lot. It's typically mm -hmm. at daylight, maybe at dark. And then it just kind of gets better every day from there. But you know, so to answer your question, right around Halloween. Okay. I, I um, typically around that time I start, well, that's not true because I guide for mule deer in South Dakota in November. And that rut seems to kick in like second week of November. That, that to me, that's the peak of it. Yeah, it's like well, you start seeing. Well, I guess if you, yeah, you're you're correct. Right around October thirty first, right around Halloween, you start seeing bucks, you know, cruising, you know, doing pre rutting stuff for sure. It, it kind of it's kind of about the same as like the whitetail rut across the Midwest, really. I, I yeah, that's what I've noticed. Okay. Deer, yeah. deer, and 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 that and that's all I mean. So I, I think sometimes when I when I goof guys up when I when I say that, that it's that early, 
I think they might be thinking I'm talking about, hey, big bucks right in a herd with do- herd of does and they're with them all day. No, I'm just talking about that's when they really start searching for the does. You know, I, right. I follow a lot of deer tracks throughout the year, and it seems like up till about middle of October, a, a big mule deer will spend a lot of time in a pretty small area if you follow his tracks. Yeah. Where, boy, the end of October, those tracks just start straightening out. You know what I mean? And yep. You can tell they're just they're just moving a lot more. Well, you you know what that is? They're yeah, they're cruising. Does. And but yeah, it'll still fool you because you know you'll see a, a herd of does off in a secure pocket on you know November second, and there's no bucks around them. And right. that's where I hear guys say, "Well, the rut hasn't started." No, no, there's there's just there's not just, a buff right there when you're looking at them. You know, you go you or or there or there's just not a doe that's you know they they rely on their scent. There's they're not a doe that's in heat in that a group of does. So the yeah. buck scent check them from, you know, a hundred yards away, 200 yards away. You don't notice where they're at. And they're like, Oh, there's no, there's no does in heat over there. I'm not going to go. I, I basically saw that this morning. It's funny because mm-hmm. I glassed up three, three bucks two like, you know, if I had my bow in my hand, I probably would have went after all three of them to be honest with you. Uh, but I have a rifle tag and the bucks were all away from the does. Mm-hmm. Like, but they were cruising. You could see them. I could tell exactly what they were doing. They were they were quartering into the wind, and they were walking into the wind, you know, quartering into the wind, looking to see if they could pick up. You know, that's how they get the broadest spectrum, or so broadest scent cone, so to speak, by quartering into the wind instead of walking straight into it. And then, you know, so you could. I was looking out. All the bucks I saw were to the south of me, glassing, and I saw probably. I don't know, four different groups of does with about four to five in each group to my to my west to the west, and there was the only bucks that were with them were spikes. You know, there was little spikes trailing them around, but yeah, yeah, and that's why I kind of threw that caveat in there about two points and stuff like that. You know, I I have seen two points out ready in the middle of October, but. Never really seen the big bucks and, until then, and and well, they and know better. Forgive, forgive my <laughs> ignorance here. You're you're what part of Arizona are you in? I'm in Phoenix area. Okay, so you're you're pretty far south then. So, yeah, it's so. basically cent, almost central, like where I'm hunting right now. So I have a unit 21 tag. It's about the most central unit in the whole state, actually. So gotcha. So from what I understand, I've not hunted that far south. You'll you'll experience rutting conditions start later and and end later than some of these northern states, correct? Yeah, yeah. The the further south you go, it it, it starts just a little bit later, for sure. We, I mean, our 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 rut really doesn't like you don't really see hard chasing and like real bunch of you know basically when January first gets here. Every group of does you see will have a buck with it, you know. Yeah, and, and by then, you know, virtually there's just no rutting activity up here. I, I have a friend that um, had a muzzleloader hunt up here that ran until just last week. So what mm-hmm. I guess right now is December 15th. So he was hunting until, I don't know, the 6th or 7th or something like that. And even then he said almost all the bucks had pulled away from the does. It was right. very little rutting activity. But however, when I've seen that happen, I still check all the does because, like you said, they, they you know, a doe can just cycle in and boom, those bucks know right. what's going on. They still, they, you know, like you, those ones you're talking about, are still wind checking them today. They'll, they'll be right in there, you know. Oh yeah, like, they'll come from four miles away. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's like a so light switch. Does, the rut is a pretty long event, by the way I define it. With it is bucks are starting to be influenced by the does to when they're finally really not influenced by the does. And for us here, that's basically the end of October till roughly 
even now I've seen bucks chasing does. In oh yeah, for sure. I so I mean I've watched I've watched bucks nose does around and you know lip curl and stuff like that and do very ruddy type stuff as early as the second week of November. And I've seen them go all the way to mid-March. Wow. That's yeah. just incredible. And I, I guess that's just a testament of the, that they're not so tied to the winter like they are up here. Geez, a, a fawn yeah. that's even born in you know July around here, which would mean they were bred, you know, December, uh, January. Mm-hmm. Their survival rate is so low because of our, our winters. You know? Yeah. The way I understand it in the south and down through that country. You know, they they can be born late and it doesn't matter. You know, they're not yeah. they're not gonna win or kill. So interesting. Yeah. I've noticed in whitetail, like in certain states, I mean heck Florida. Uh-huh. For whitetail, depending on where you are in Florida, you can catch the rut from I wanna say July? Something stupid like that, uh-huh. all the way through to March. Like it's weird, like all because it's such right. a Yeah. It's crazy. And I don't like I mean, really what triggered, everybody's like, oh, what triggers the rut? The real thing that triggers the rut is does and heat. Does, I mean, that's what triggers the rut. You know, yeah, photoperiodism, all that stuff. Uh, people talk about weather. I don't think weather really has, I mean, I think weather, like where you're at, okay, for instance, it just evolved, that, but weather didn't actually change the rut. What it did is it killed off all the, all the deer that would come into estrus late, you know, that, that, that yeah, gene. Don't survive. Yeah, exactly. So that would, that's a survival of the fittest thing. But yeah, I, uh, it, it's crazy. I kind of, I've always, I'm, I've always been a student of the rut, especially since my earlier years as a kid and, uh, my early teenage years. I, I did mostly just whitetail hunting. So, you know, that's like everybody's talked about the rut. Whitetail any so, but um, well, then, yeah. and that's why when you ask me what's my favorite time, I have to put down the rut. But yeah, you know, who doesn't the like last the rut? <laughs> 15, 15 years, I've seen you know some pretty dang good bucks in September, and they're a little more they're not more locatable than the rut. I mean, the rut that's what makes the rut good, but they're a little more patternable. And mm-hmm. I use I say this on every podcast I do, I use the word pattern loosely, yeah, but you know, they're just a little more probably. Predictable, predictable is a better word for it. Yeah. Or yeah, sometimes the rut—that's what can make the rut hard—is they're they're moving a lot, so you know you might not be where one is. Where at least in September, because of my scouting and the efforts I put forth preseason, right? You know, I I know I'm I'm at their home address. They just they just need to cooperate. Right, exactly. Yeah, my tactic for the rut for scouting is I go out and look for does, and when I find all the doe groups, because those doe groups kind of just typically go about their business and keep doing what they've been doing mm-hmm, right. all year round. I just know that bucks are going to be there. Of course, yep. I don't know what kind of bucks are going to be there. But That's yeah. the exciting part about it, man. Anything yeah. can happen during the rut. And, yep. and I just kind of, that's what I always tell everybody, that after Halloween, I just become a doe hunter. I just start yep. looking for does. Yep. There you go. That's smart. What behavioral characteristic or what trait about mule deer can you share with the listeners that you say, you know, bucks do this or 
they, you know, I, I, I don't want to give away an example because I don't want to lead you into your answer. Sure. Yeah, but, yeah you betcha. I, I got a couple things here that I've learned over the years that, that you know, aid me in taking big bucks. Okay. And it's, um, first of all, and I, you know, and I always knew this, but I just think I had to hunt long enough to really believe it, mm-hmm. is that, that these big bucks, you know, before a migration, which, you know, up here we have, you know, snow and weather triggered migrations that, you know, can, it can empty a mountain range of deer in a couple of right. days. That outs, and, and by the way, just as a caveat, there are even some mountain ranges in the West that are date dependent. The deer still migrate whether there's snow or not. They, but, you know, right around a certain, you know, it's not on a, you know, exactly. Day, but, but, you know, yeah. that week or so, you just see these deer start leaving. And so outside of those times, I've learned that mule deer are not just big mule deer are not just roaming the country randomly and they have much smaller home ranges than what we think. And you hear that, that should be nothing new to your listener. Mm -hmm. The reason it's important to me is it's helped me narrow my efforts into huntable size chunks of real estate over the years, rather than the old Robbie Denning who just run used to run from mountain range to mountain range. Well, that buck's gone. Let's go find another one. And over the years of doing that, and even giving up on some bucks that I'd pre-scouted, but I wasn't seeing them, so I just perceptions reality. I didn't see them. They're not here. Right. So let's go somewhere else. And over the years, I've just kind of started to reject all that. And some of it's just by experience. I just ended up killing a couple of big bucks that were, you know, right in places I'd found them, and and. Yet they weren't there every day. And I think sometimes in your mind you think, well, if they're here, I should see them. No, no, they live in places that they're hard to find. Even if you know the same square mile they're living in, they're hard to kill. Heck, I've had bucks go into a, an acre-sized piece of country and I can't find them. You know, just terrain and cover and stuff like that. So by believing and knowing they're not just randomly roaming the countryside, I'm able to focus my limited amount of Time off work, and I talked about it earlier in the podcast, mental energy. I'm only good for so many days. I'm not Superman. That I spend my time where those bucks live. And and by and large, that's how I've killed the biggest percentage of them, John. The biggest percentage of them. I've killed very few big bucks randomly. Now, that doesn't mean every big buck I kill I've pre-scouted. Right. But I, I, I'm always hunting in areas that have given me really good intel tracks or previous sightings or sometimes mm-hmm. you just got a really generous buddy that shares info with you where the old me i you know i'd spend a day in a place like that well this buck's gone and then i'm looking for a new one you know and and, and you do that for about 10 years and you f- suddenly you realize i've wasted hundreds of days chasing phantoms here why don't i yeah. just hunt where i know that they're they're gonna most likely, likely be yeah no that's so smart I, I still feel like I fall victim to the phantom thing once in a while. I, I still got this like, I don't know if it's um, curiosity, but I'll put it t- today, for instance, in perspective. So where I'm glassing from, from is literally a point that rises up out of the out of the desert and you can see 360 degrees. And I know from experience, because I've been hunting here since 1998 in this one spot, 
It's my bow hunting spot for every December and January that I typically see the bucks to the south and to the east. And I almost never see anything to the west or excuse me, other way around, <laughs> west and south. No, almost never see anything to the east. And once in a while, I'll see to the north. But I always have this, like, I got to, let me hurry up and look through this so I can turn around and go look at that. And it's like, it's like the curiosity thing. What's over the next ridge? You know, that's, and that, and that, that gets me all the time. I don't do it when I'm hunting with other people because I feel like, oh, okay, well, they're looking at this. I'm looking at that. Yeah. But when I'm by myself, especially, I kind of like, I get that. Oh, I need to know what's there too, you know? So. Yeah, and that's that's kind of one thing I've just tried. I still do it. Don't get me wrong. I still sometimes I get so bored hunting in a certain spot. I just leave to go see a new country. But but yeah, just just when you know your country, and and even better if you've seen a big buck there preseason. Mm-hmm. You know, unless there's there's just a reason that he would leave, which I found there's very few reasons that they do it. You know, sometimes you'll find a buck in a really stupid spot. You know, yeah. glassable from a road. You know, everybody can see him. Yeah, I don't go chase those bucks. But if he's got any secure country at all, I know he's big because he knows how to use that country to hide from hunters. And so I, I just try not to roam is, is what I'm getting at. I just try not to roam and, and just, just hunt there. So that's one of the behavioral things I think a guy needs to hone in on if he wants to hunt big bucks is, you know, you, you can't get bored with looking at the same hillsides if you have good intel that a big buck has been living there. No, because oh, around is just going to waste time. It's just going to waste your effort and waste your time. Um, the other thing that I've kind of, um, and it's, 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 it's almost along the same lines. I knew this, but as I've, I've, as I've hunted more, I've realized it's importance. And that is the ability for big bucks and deer in general to hear. And, you know, mule deer out of all the species have the biggest ears. That's no accident. Mm-hmm. And they hear, and I believe they hear much more than what we do, what we think they do. And I believe they react to it much more than we think that they do. For and, sure. um, so, you know, in my younger years, you know, I, I've written a few articles on this, you know, I'd glass an hour or two and then walk over to my pack, you know, zip the zipper loud, you know, open a package, of, you know, whatever. And, you know, make fun of my buddy over there sleeping by the tree, you know, throw some rocks and just generally making noise. Right. Well, I figured out over the years, even though that doesn't seem like a lot of noise, we spooked a few big bucks doing that. And uh, one of them was on a, on a muzzleloader hunt. And, you know, I'm, I'm cracking jokes at my buddy. And, and you know, we've been there two hours. And he looks down the mountain from us. And here's, you know, a, a sub 200-inch buck, but, you know, better than 180, right. looking right at us within muzzleloader range. And he had heard us. We've been sitting there like two hours. It was just a, <laughs> a perfect ambush. You know, we were quiet. You know, it's because we were glassing, but then right. we got bored and we started yakking. And that, that buck pegged us. We couldn't even get to our guns fast enough. We could have killed that buck all day long if we'd have been ready. And I could give you a, a bunch of other stories like that, but I just kind of learned that, that even if I'm not seeing them, they are hearing. They are yes. hearing. And and we've got to respect that. And it's changed how I, you know, the, from the clothes I wear, you know, to the noises I make. I mean, I have coughed and spooked deer because mm-hmm. uh, I'm a horseman. You know, uh, I've met a lot of guys in mule deer country with horses, and those horses are doing those guys no good because they just ride them right through the deer country. They're, they're probably decreasing their chances. At least right. if they went and hunted from the truck, the deer are kind of used to hearing trucks, and you might actually get a crack at one. But, you know, a, a horse in mule deer country that's relatively quiet for 
you know, six months of the year and here comes some clomping saddle horse through it. Right. Um, I, and I don't get me wrong. I've made those mistakes too. And, and that's why, you know, in, in, in decades of hunting with horses, I've never killed a big buck from a horse because if I, I've seen them, but if I see them, they're getting away. There's no time. Right. And, and so, so, so getting back to the hearing thing, I think hearing is, is really their best defense. Now smelling is if they actually smell you. You know, they, they, they don't put up with any scent. They'll go. No, They'll yeah. hear you and they may not leave, but they, it seems the big bucks always hide. Yeah. Um, they can see you. I've even had big deer see me and actually put up with that just a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, but when I know when I'm making a bunch of noise in deer country, they're just going to spend more time in the cover. You know, they're, they're yeah. going to make less mistakes. So I've tried to be quieter as I've gotten older. And some of these older deer hunters I've met, they're 60, 70, 80, that are still freaking deadly. They, they are quiet guys. They are very, very quiet. And, and, and I think with some of the modern clothing, I mean, we're blessed with high performance gear and clothing. And, you know, I really got into it for a while just because of rock slide. And I still am into it, but I'm still always moving quiet clothing to the top of my list, if at all possible. You know, yeah. where I used to go hunting a, you know, nylon jacket and think, well, yeah, I'm rifle hunting. Heck, I'm going to be shooting 300 yards. Yeah, but I'm spooking deer that are within... 40 all the time and I, and I don't even know it right yeah yeah it's one of my bigger big rubs with uh the high performance clothing i've uh, i've had this conversation with a couple of guys that sit there actually try to come up with something that's a little bit more uh a little quieter um it's I'm funny that you back. mentioned I'm, oh go I'm ahead back to fleece the last couple of years um yeah i, I can't do fleece here cryptex um Bellis fleece and you know, fleece can pick up burrs and stuff. You know, it's sort of heavy when it's combined with the membrane. But man, is it quiet! You know, so I, so I, you know, I'm I'm always looking to looking to yeah. quiet in my clothing if possible. Yeah, um, I quit I, wearing I, gaiters the last couple of years because I can't find a gator that's quiet. You know, and I'm always zipping. You know, if if, if it's not frozen outside, they're okay. But as soon yeah. as, as soon as you get in those snowballs, for, for, you know, frozen to the the zipper and stuff like that, you might as well be walking through this woods with a set of tram trombones you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah no i hear you it's funny um i made that connection myself probably 10 years ago and i made it coyote calling not actually deer hunting because i'm always quiet when i'm deer hunting because most of the time i bow hunt and i'm just i'm in quiet mode but you know i would walk out to a stand to go make you know to to make a call and I wouldn't think about the approach. I wouldn't think about sneaking in there and getting in there quietly. And I noticed that every once in a while I'd, I'd bump coyote going in and, you know, being loud or whatever. And now because I was bumping stuff, I started, you know, after that I started, you know, sneaking in. I wouldn't ever uh, skyline myself going to where I was going to, you know, call from I would, I would take, you know, the long way around, you know, wind, I always did the wind thing, but, and I realized that I did it originally because I didn't want to bump coyote going in, but I, I realized that because I wasn't making noise that was carrying out there, that when I called one in, it always came right to the call. Like there, it didn't hang up because it heard footsteps, you know, 10 minutes ago coming in. You know, it didn't, it didn't associate the call with humans. And, you know, so I, and then I started, I started thinking about that. I'm like, you know, I kind of already do this with the deer and 
then I started, I had that same philosophy when I was rifle hunting. I, you know, I don't give a shit. I'm going to shoot from three, 400 yards away. You know, who cares if I'm stomping, stomping up through my, you know, whatever. So now I, you know, I really started my approach. Like I don't, when I walk in, I don't use my, my big flashlight. I use my red flashlight, you know, just every, everything's just to be a little bit more like I think about everything as if I was going to go hunt a tree stand, you know, that's how I approach it. So, yeah. And you're right. And you know, that, that example you give about the coyote, that, that's a good example that supports what we're talking about right here. And like what you said is you found that if you could get in there quiet and undisturbed, they were more responsive to the calls. And that's what I have found with mule deer is that if I've been hunting quieter, I'm just seeing more deer. And if I'm not hunting quietly, I'm seeing less deer. So what's happening in, in those two examples? Deer mm-hmm. are hearing me that I do not know are around and they're, 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 they're getting out. I'm never seeing them. You know, right. I used to think when I spooked a deer, I was going to hear it and it's going to run off and I wouldn't get it, you know? Yeah. But I, I come to realize over the years, no, I'm spooking a lot of deer that I don't even know exist. Right. Right. And they're slipping off. Like I, and I've seen this with coos deer a lot. I mean, they will literally crawl from bush to bush. Like they won't even stand up. Like if they're, they kind of remind me of quail, you know, <laughs> like, you know, they'll hold tight until they have to bust out, you know, and yeah, it's Un- unreal, unreal. So yeah, that's why hearing is at the top, you know, of some of those, those behavioral things, I guess the last one I'd say, and you kind of gave a preview to it. I can tell you're a pretty good deer hunter skylining myself. I used to think skylining was the classic, oh, there's a dude standing on the ridge over there 400 mm-hmm. yards, you know, with no cover. I mean, it's like a blinking light bulb up there. But I kind of learned as, as, as I started bow hunting mule deer and getting in close, oh no, skylining can be 50 yards away and it's this much of your head coming over the the, 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 the brush. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't used to realize how easy you could be seen uh, uh, doing that. And so I'm a lot more careful about skylining myself in deer country at all yardages, not just long right. distance, you know, climb over the ridge. You know, I, any ridge, I was always sneaking past the bushes, but I spooked so many deer that were pretty close to me just because, you know, I would sit in a place where, you know, part of me was exposed or, you know, whatever. And, and just like they're hearing, man, they don't put up with much, you know, they just, as soon as they see that, especially the big bucks, Mm-hmm. And, and not talking about the two and three year old bucks that stand there and look at you like an idiot. You know, those are the ones that feel they're a bad name. I'm talking about the four, five, six year old bucks. They're like, hey, that's trouble. I haven't seen that before. I don't know what it is. I don't even need to know what it is. I'm leaving. Gone. Yep. So those are those are the things that uh that uh that that, that I would say for behaviorally kind of what I've learned about muleys. I love when I have people on that say the things that are in my head. That's awesome. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Apparently, I kind of ask. I ask this a lot of a lot of people. It's kind of a general question, but what would you attribute your? You know, give me three things that you could attribute you, your success to. Three things, okay. Call it the three P's: persistence, persistence, <laughs> persistence. There you go. That's the three things right there. Now. <laughs> I know that doesn't work very good with a podcast, so um, I actually thought up a, you know, a couple other things. And these are in my book, too. I think as I've gotten more successful as I've gotten older, and I don't just define that by inches of antlers because I shot some pretty dang good bucks when I was in my 20s, probably due to there was just a few more around in the places I could hunt. But as I've gotten older, I haven't had to hunt quite so many days to, to, to get good bucks. And, and these are the three things I can think of. 
I'll leave, I'll, 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 I'll even rank them in, okay. in, 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 in importance and hunting multi-weapon. Okay. So out of, out of the three things I'm going to give you, that's number three, with number one being the, being the most important. Number three is I, I'm a multi-weapon hunter. I hunt rifle, muzzleloader, and archery. That's not because I like rifle, muzzleloader, and archery. It's simply because if you want to kill big mule deer in the state of, of, of the herds right now, I mean, it's, it's hard to get good tags. And there's even in places where there's, you know, a fair amount of big bucks are still not very many. Mm-hmm. So what multi-weapon does is allow me to take advantage of as many good opportunities as I can. And that, that you know, and that can be from a draw odds standpoint. You know, if I'm right. only, only applying for rifle, those are the toughest odds in the West. Um, where if I'm willing to hunt with some of these other weapons, that just gives me a little bit better drawing odds. But it's also what we were kind of starting off to podcast with of, I, I, I just, if I can spread myself out a little bit more and have some breaks in between, mm-hmm. um, that, that helps too. And, and so hunting with multiple weapons allows me to do that compared to back, you know, when I was only a rifle hunter, you know, that was a pretty two, three weeks of intense, uh, opportunity. Uh, and then it's over. And again, I'm only good for six, seven, eight days and I'm tired. I need a break. And, right. um, you know, if I can get one, and so multi-weapon hunting allows me to do that. And it's made, it's made me a better hunter, I think. Not to mention, you know, you're, when you're hunting short range weapons, mm-hmm. you, you figure out that you, you know, you can, you can get in close. I, it's yeah. probably why I've never evolved into a long range hunter. I'm not against long range hunting. I just have not seen a need for it. I've never killed a buck beyond 450 because I've always been able to get closer. Um, you know, I've added a few hundred yards to my, to my weapon systems the last couple of years, just cause just adding simple hash marks in my scope, you know, I, right. I would feel in, you know, low wind conditions, pretty comfortable shooting out to about 600, but it's because of multi-weapon short range hunting that I kind of figured out that I don't need to shoot them over there, you know, 1200 yards. I can get closer. And in some places there's, there's kind of an in-between place where 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 you can't really get bucks you either have to shoot them at 1200 yards you have to shoot them at 50 yards it usually has to do with cover and terrain and stuff like that so by becoming a short range hunter as well and not being afraid to use those techniques i've kind of figured out that you know you can, you can get within 50 yards of some of these big bucks oh yeah where, where, when i was only a rifle hunter john i didn't really think that way you know I, did, I just thought they were some this mysterious creature that you just couldn't get near you know and and yeah and, and, and that's not true so multi-weapon hunting the, the next thing I would attribute to my success is I kind of learned to look everywhere for big mule deer, not just, you know, the highest, furthest peak from the road and all that. I, I hunted that way for a long time. It's still my favorite type of hunting. Don't get me wrong. I love to pack in. I, I love to get away from the crowds, although in some places you got to be pretty smart. There's more crowds in the backcountry than there is, you know, on the on the little piece of BLM that's right off the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I've gotten older, I've kind of expanded into not being afraid to look I don't want to make it sound like I hunt from the road. I don't do that. But I mean, I'm not, I don't just have to have a, a five mile square piece of real estate with no roads in it to find big bucks. Right. And strangely enough, and it just, I don't have a big sample size to compare it to because, you know, I hunted almost exclusively backcountry for 20 years. But, you know, in the last 10 years, I've seen some bigger bucks in just stupid places that are not that far from a road. Some, some very big bucks I've seen. And, you know, again, that's a small sample size. That could just be luck. But it, but it showed me that if I'm only 
hunt in the back country, that that's a, that's limiting as well. I need to be looking at all the country in a unit. So right. I always try to do that, not be afraid to look everywhere, you know, and, 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 and be able to hunt other habitat types too. I've never killed a big desert buck, but you know, I, I make sure I include deserts in my scouting and all that stuff. And sure enough, I've seen some giants in places like that that are, you know, kind of more, more thought of for antelope hunting. So that's number two, looking everywhere. And then the third thing, this is the most important. This is the absolute most important, I, I think. Because you can be the best hunter. You can have the best weapon systems. You can have the best tag. If you can't pass up the nice bucks, you ain't going to get a big one. Just the odds are stacked against you that you are going to see a really big buck early in your hunt. I've never killed a big buck on opening day. I've tried hundreds of times. And I told you early in the podcast, almost all my bucks are pre-scouted. Yet I'm still not killing them on opening day. Right. Um, I'm there opening day. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm usually there before opening day, but, but, um, for whatever reason, it, it just seems like you got to get in and sort through the bucks and you got to be able to pass up the nice bucks early in the hunt. And I've done entire podcasts on this, like Avery adventures. Okay. Talked about that, about, you know, passing up nice bucks early in the hunt and then not getting one. That's the risk you run. But I find if you're not willing to take that risk, you'll, almost never get a big one maybe in your lifetime. And I can mm-hmm. tell you of dozens of guys that, that are good hunters that are hunting good in the older country and have still never killed bigger than a 160 or 170 buck. Well, I've killed bigger than a 160, but yeah, that's, that's my, uh, that's my problem. I, I cannot keep my hand off the damn, uh, well, we'll call it the trigger, but yeah, I, I can't keep my hand off the trigger. It's like the only thing I think I can do it with, or only time that I feel like I, I'm, I'm, I told myself I'm doing it on this hunt because I've never, this is the first rifle mule deer hunt and rut hunt I've ever had here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So I'm, yeah, I'm usually running around with the bow and that's probably why I have that mentality because if I see a good buck, you know, a 150, 160 buck steps out in front of me, I'm, I'm going to shoot it with my bow, <laughs> you know, right, but right. now that I have this rifle tag, I'm trying to be quote unquote a trophy hunter. But, um, I, uh, the only time I feel like I can do it successfully and it doesn't eat at me that I just let a a good buck go is if I have a buck picked out, like if I have trail cam footage of it, if I know there's a really big buck in there, uh, and I've, or I've seen him a few times, you know, that, then I can do it because, you know, you, you know, it's there, but like. I haven't had a time to scout for this hunt at all. So this morning when I saw the 160 buck pop out, I was like, uh, should I shoot it? Nah, but I, I honestly, I probably wouldn't have been able to get him anyway. He was about a mile away when I, when I picked him up. So by the time I would have got over to him, I probably wouldn't have been, he probably wouldn't have been there anymore. But anyway, yeah, the only time I've ever like pinpointed and said, I'm going to shoot this buck and target one target buck is on whitetail. I shot a, a buck I call Swamp Donkey. I hunted him for four years back in in New York. And uh, that was in two, two, yeah, 2016 I shot him. So I hunted him from 2012 to 2016. But I've killed so many deer in New York. It's like, you know, I, I don't have a problem passing up a, you know, 120, 150, you know, 130 inch buck. So, but yeah, it's tough. I, I usually have like four or five bucks on my on my target list, but 
I never hold out for the one that's my number one. I have yet to kill my number one. Like 2016, I shot my biggest desert muley here, but he was my number three buck. He showed up. I was like, oh, he's my number three hit list, but I'm going to go shoot him. He's in a good spot. And I went and shot him. And then I was out helping my cousin out the next day and number one popped out. (laughs) You know? So, but yeah, so hopefully... Hopefully, uh, this, this, uh, particular season, I don't, uh, fall victim to my own, uh, itchy trigger finger. So. Well, I guess that that's, that's why I list this as such an important thing, you know, no, it's years because everything else doesn't matter is, you know, we only get to shoot one. And so, mm-hmm. You know, if we, if we can't stay off the trigger and, and it's hard, don't get me wrong. I've shot lesser bucks than I intended to, but as I've gotten older, you know, like the, 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 the two bucks I got this year, and this is, this is not normal, but it's, it's, it's kind of leaning itself towards this. I killed the Colorado buck on the eighth day of the ninth day season. And I had passed him up, I believe on the sixth day. And I killed my Idaho buck on the last five minutes of shooting light on the last day of a, like a seven day hunt. Mm-hmm. And I had passed him up a day before or two days before. And that kind of illustrates my point. I still hunted to the, near the very end. Right. Well, and, last day bucks, uh, last day buck. <laughs> exactly. And and I was really happy with the bucks. I, you know, I'm not apologizing for taking them. I'm really happy with them. You know, But they're not some of my biggest deer by any means. But no. at least I felt peace in that, hey, I've done everything I can. And, you know, there's no shame in taking taking a buck then. But... Had I shot those bucks earlier on either one of those hunts, I that was the old me that would be like, oh, I shouldn't have shot him. You know, I could have done better. Where at least if I'm hunting down towards, you know, the, the end of the season or the end of my available energy that, hey, this is the best I can do. There's no shame in it. And you kind of got to get to that point. And the risk you, you got to kind of learn to take is that I may not get one. And that Idaho buck was such a surprise to kill him because – I wasn't even hunting where I'd seen him the day before, but it was the 8th of November. He was rutting. He'd moved about a mile. I was purposely not trying to kill that buck. Mm-hmm. And and he showed up right where I was hunting. And I was like, hey, we got like 45 minutes of light left on the last day. I have, There's no shame in getting that buck. And I was really happy with him. But you do have to be able to eat your tags. Because if I go back to some of the biggest deer, you know, the 200-inch or better deer that I've killed, every one of them came on hunts where I had chances at nice bucks before them. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. And, and, and had I shot those nice bucks, I'd, I meet these guys all the time that are like, man, I've, I've been hunting a long time and I've still never killed better than a 170 or whatever, you know? And, and it's and they're often I talk to these guys and they're better deer hunters than me. I can just tell they're more patient. I'm really hyper, you know, and, but I can tell that's the one thing they're not doing. They can't pass up the nice ones. And, yeah. And so anyways, that's, that's why I rank that as kind of the number one thing you no, got to be able to do. You got to be able to pass. I'm actually glad I had this conversation with you now because you're, you're, uh, you're going to be in the back of my mind the rest of, well, rest of this hunt. Well, well, this is what I tell you friend to friend then. If you got a good tag, dude, sounds yeah. like you've killed a pile of deer. You're not starving to death. You can no. go a year without the deer meat, right? Right. Then so what if you don't get one? And you're going to – if you hunt to the to – the, dirty end of this season and you don't get one you may have a little twinge of regret over that but it's not going to be the same regret as oh man i shot that 160 buck and and then then something like this will happen you'll talk to some other tag holder that shoots a giant you know later in the season i would rather take the risk of not getting one and know that 
I, I, I hunted to the end. I hunted as long as I could. Right. Then, then get a smaller one and have a, a bunch of season opportunity left, you know, cause you'll, it will always haunt you. It will always yeah. haunt you. No. Yeah. I, well, I kind of made myself a pact. I said, I'm going to give myself to this date to hold out for my number one buck. I don't even know if he's still alive. I just know that for the last two years, he's shown up right after Christmas mm-hmm. where I'm hunting. Um, so I'm going to give it till problem is I have to end my hunt two days before the season ends uh, to do some family stuff. So I'm giving myself basically till the 28th and then I'm going, I'm going to revert back to my, I just want to shoot a good deer thing. So There you go, dude. And we're on the same page. That's exactly yeah. what I said before. I want to hunt as long as I can. I want to shoot the best buck that I can. But yeah, obviously at some point, you know, it, 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 you got to settle and, and, and you'll, you'll feel good about that too. If, if you have, you know, hunted that long to that end to whatever your, to whatever your date is, but where you won't feel good is it's, if I do it today. Yeah, exactly. You would, you'd be like, well, I got a nice buck, but you know, you, you end up with all kinds of emotions that you don't even begin to understand. And, and, uh, so anyways, that's why passing up bucks is it's hard and you can get carried away with it. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I've passed up some I shouldn't have, but by and large, it's got me more big deer by just being able to do that. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, I want to thank you for coming on and, uh, sharing your knowledge with us. I appreciate it. And, um, definitely going to have you on again. Especially closer oh, dude, I'd, I'd love it. I'd love it. And is it okay if I tell people about my book? Oh yeah, Absolutely. Sorry yeah, about that. I, I usually yeah, no problem, I wanted to do that. I, I I put that in the email to you for sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, no problem, bud. Yeah, it, it's called Hunting Big Mule Deer. Um, I wrote it two years ago. Um, uh, it's it's a, the easiest way to get a copy is on Amazon.com. Um, uh, you just jump on there, Hunting Big Mule Deer. Um, I, I, I get you a copy. It's not a signed copy. If you decide you want a signed copy, just go to rockslide, R-O-K, slide.com. It's in our store. Those come directly from my house. It takes a little longer to get them. A couple bucks more, but uh, but I I, you know, I I can sign them. I'm doing a bunch of them for Christmas right now. Guys are sending me the funniest stuff to write in the in the in the cover, you know, making fun of their buddies that are eating tag soup and everything. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. But uh, but yeah, anybody wants to learn more about me and kind of kind of how I do it, um, I've got uh, got that book out there. And um, appreciate if anybody take a look at it. Awesome, yeah, definitely check out his book. Uh, I bought it when it, when it first came out, but I had the worst. I can't read anymore. Every time I start to read anything, I freaking fall asleep. It's mainly because I'm <laughs> only time I have to read is right before I go to bed. You're too busy, just, man. God, man, it's like terrible. all of us. I hear you. Well, hey, no terrible. offense taken if you're falling asleep reading my book. <laughs> it's not boring by any means. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, cool. Thanks for coming on. Hey, I appreciate it, John. Good to get to know you, and I'm uh, glad you're out here doing this good work. We appreciate it. Likewise. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show.